is a country beyond that which is known to humankind. A stray country. A country that exists west of October. Whose borders are somewhere between midnight train whistles and the distant hell of a dog. A country that lies somewhere in the stitched and jittering static between radio stations. A country that drifts through America like a traveling salesman. But every now and then stops to nest on a small town. A small church. A single street. And maybe, just maybe, some kind of delayed radio broadcast you've stuffed in your ears. Chapter 14 What do ghosts say? See it? Jack asked. Billy's eyes were on Eddie Schneider's house. The boys behind a bush on the opposite side of the street. No, Billy squinted. Not from here. Licked his lips. We'll have to get inside. Great. Jack, we have to know. Yeah, I know, it's just... <sighs> Look, lifting nudie mags from old man Copley's mailbox is one thing. Breaking and entering is another. It's not breaking and entering? Yeah, sure, if his window's unlocked. What are you going to tell the cops? We were just pushing open and entering. Something like that? I'll call it trespassing at least, larceny at the middle, an accessory to murder or a big fat helping of crime scene disturbance at worst. Calm down. Don't tell me to calm down. I am calm. Jack breathed the great drifts of almost noon suburban silence. The boys looked at the house. It looked very, very quiet. Almost like... Someone had died there last night. Then they remembered. Someone had. Jack, he just said it. Said what? You think Eddie was murdered? I didn't say that. You called it a murder scene. I said the cops might think it was a murder scene. But why would the cops think it was a murder scene unless it was? A murder scene. Sure, cops can't see ghosts, can't slap handcuffs on bedsheet wrists, or lock fog up in a jail. But they can find the dead bodies of anyone killed by a ghost. And what if they find us standing there? Friends of Eddie's, we say. But we never met them, parents say. Friends from school, we say. But all the kids at school say we never saw them together unless you count Eddie slamming Jack's locker shut right after he opened it. And Eddie's stealing Jack's deodorant from gym class. And sure, I sold him stuff, but all my business is done in secret. So no one really knows I knew him, except the tree. And trees don't get called to the witness stand. The boys looked at the house. It was very, very quiet. Did you find his room? Billy whispered. Jack fished his pocket, unfolded a piece of paper. I had to call in some favors, but I got Wally Buckwalter to get Johnny Mumford to draw the house for me. Do you know how bad this looks? Eddie dies, and the next day I'm asking Wally to ask someone else to draw me a picture that shows where Eddie's bedroom window is. 
He told Wally to keep his trap shut, right? Not stupid, Billy. But Wally... He didn't say anything to Johnny, but what if he slips up? He paid him, like we talked about, right? Told him I'd give him a free three-month sub to the Players' Boys Club. And he'll be quiet. As long as he keeps getting pictures, sure. What if old man Copley wises up? What if he puts a lock on the mailbox? Calm down. I told you, I am calm. It's not the only place to get nudie mags, okay? Belly, breathe out. Oh yeah, where else? You got a stash? No. Jordan Barnes's brother has some under his bed. You seen him? I've seen them seen them. Jack looked relieved and unrelieved at the same time. Like a kid at a urinal who realizes he needs a stall. We could knock on the door. Jack said, Sadie has my science book. Got a test on Monday I need to study for. We went over that. No guarantee we'll get in the room. They might leave us on the doorstep while they look. Say they did take us to his room. It'd be with parents watching us comb over the place. Jack nodded. Yeah, I guess you're right. You ready? Billy asked. No, Jack said, but it didn't matter because they were off. Boys know how to run a neighborhood like mice the Kessel Kitchen. The space between houses, grass lane alleys, the top of fences, the corner of backyards, the space between, behind, and inside bushes. This was all territory forgotten about by homeowners. Table scraps from the feast of home ownership, and boys like mice know where to live large, where Fat City is. Yes. Whole mice colonies depend on the table scrap cast-offs from kings and statesmen who have so much food they'll never notice the crumbs go. And boys have lost whole summers in the space between houses. Dancing on the cement that binds the houses together. For Billy, it was something well-practiced in younger youth. Called by him, Dangerous Deeds. That was the term when Billy and his best friend Scott would navigate the space for hours at a time, making a whole day out of side yards and fences. The no-man's land of suburbia. The space between homeowners. The tiny little shreds of communism slapped between neighboring brick houses like mortar. The two inches owned by both people. So when the fence came down, both neighbors did the work. When a fence went up, both neighbors paid the bill. Half and half. Just the way it was done in Moscow. But here in America, no, not here. It couldn't be admitted to. It mustn't. It was the land of capital freedom. No one knew, and if they knew, no one wanted to admit that Eisenhower's suburban expansion was seamed together with Marxist mortar. Something to bond the building blocks of neighborhoods.
But this was all a very long way of saying the boys knew the space between houses better than the streets and sidewalks in front of their houses. Yes, Jack and Billy were across the street, across the side yard, like East Germans trying to make it to West Berlin. Which is an even longer way of saying the boys made it to Eddie's bedroom window without being seen. Jack licked his lips, double-checked the sketch Johnny had done for Wally had done for Jack. This should be it. The boys looked at the window. The blinds were shut. Sure wish those blinds were open, Jack said. Yeah, Billy agreed. The neighborhood was dead quiet. The season was dead quiet. What if they're in there right now and we start messing with the window? Jack asked. Billy dropped himself into the basement window well. Careful, Jack whispered. I am. Billy put his ear to the window. Listened to it like kids two generations past listened to train tracks. Hear anything? Shh! Billy listened. He heard nothing. He listened more. He heard nothing more. He tried the window. It slid open. Easy as a coffin, because all coffins open easy, like Grandpa had always said, everyone's dying to get into one. Two boys looked at each other. One boy stuck a finger into a blind, bent it down, peered into the room of a dead boy. The finger came out, the blind snapped back into place. It's clear. Billy said, and suddenly, they were inside. Standing did Eddie's room reminded Billy of standing Grandpa's room the day after his heart stopped. But different. Standing in a dead kid's room with everything left undone. More undone than even an old man's dead space which is pretty damn undone, even at 82. What a snort of battery shock to walk in Grandpa's room the day after the heart attack and see the pills out for Wednesday not taken. The slacks left out from Tuesday not hung up. The bed never unmade, unmade. The reminder card of the doctor's appointment Grandpa would never keep. The cufflinks from Sunday left on the dresser pretending they were going to be worn again. Yes, standing the room of a dead yesterday Grandpa was really just riding a lunatic carousel. The mind spins off on a journey of years through film strips and slideshows and photo prints and all the memento memories in the attic mind. 
Summer barbecues and swims and restaurants on the west side of town and mall trips and rides in the new car. But if standing at Dave Grandpa's room feels like watching an unfinished movie, then what of a boy's? It was something like seeing an angel panhandle for virtue while smoking a cigarette, tapping Nash down on the darling world behind God's back. Seeing a dead boy's room full of all the unfinished things of life was like seeing some dead cat kept alive in jars of electricity. There was clothes slubbed to the floor, howling with his scent, hardly dirty enough for a boy to wash, waiting impatiently to be worn one more time. There was loose change waiting to be slung into arcade games or on quarter candy. There was the skateboard, worn to perfection but hardly worn out, waiting like a faithful dead pan puppy for its owner to come home and play. There were the posters of metal bands, calling cards to rise a boy's heartbeat to 160 beats per minute, sitting static on the wall, missing the tinny roar of headphones turned too loud. Cassette tapes waiting to be heard. VHS tapes wanting to be watched, NES cartridges begging to be powered. Books that would never be read, a sleeping bag waiting for Eddie to take it to a friend's house some night, some weekend, that would never come. There were the blinds, still shut, waiting to be strung high to let the raw lamplight of the sun in to photosynthesize all the musk of a basement boy's bedroom. The bed, made, soon to be unmade, or made up, taken away, laundered and cleaned, and then just cleaned out, gone, away, goodbye forever. Eddie's room was above all else, an archaeological site like something left by long-dead, gone Native Americans. Pictographs and cave paintings to tell a story of a lost people. But parents were like big white oil men, who know the earth belongs to the living, and how long until they came in to clean, to scrub, to whitewash the land of boy with the sandpaper of dollar bills to get at the black gold beneath the rocks. How long would big white parents let Eddie keep his room now that he was gone? And here stood two boys, Billy and Jack, archaeologists of a sort, here to see the room as it was left by the former inhabitants of the land, here to take notes and record and preserve the tale in the books, because the capitalists wouldn't allow yesterday to stand in the way of tomorrow, because yesterday is hard to capitalize on, can only be done by politicians. So Wade's parents would come downstairs some day, some month, 
Some year, and the posters would come down, and the black sheets would be thrown out, and the walls would get a new coat of paint, and it would probably be something white or bright, with flowers on the bedspread, and it would be a guest room. Yes, a guest room, because the guest wouldn't know. The guest would be fine with what they didn't know. But the parents, no. It could never be a room for their use again. It could never be an office, or study, or den, or aerobic room. Not the room where they'd found their son dead. And yes, a guest room would effectively remove the room from the house. Like a cancer, Eddie's parents would take a surgical scalpel to. With a white coat of paint called Angel Feather or Falling Snow and a lavender Chanel bedspread from J.C. Penney's and lace doilies laid on the dresser. Yes, the time would come where it was time for the room to move on and be thrown away. Both at the same time, so it would become a guest room. Something still attached to their house, but not part of the house. Because what was the alternative? To leave it forever as is? Why, that's what tombstones are for, and why they are made of stone to outlast the living. But the room must change at some point. Yes, because the world belongs to the living, so a large landowner once said. Jack wanted to say something, but had nothing to say. Billy didn't want to say nothing, but didn't have something to say. So they stood, breathing in the air of a dead boy's room, wishing, goddamn wishing, it were Monday again, and they were breathing in the second-hand smoke of Eddie's purchased dead lady's cigarette, because that would mean he was still alive to shuck a lung. Where do you think they found him? Billy said at last. Jack stared blindly into the room, not seeing bed or posters or books or video games like he was focusing yesterday. The boys breathed back and forth to the room. There, Jack pointed to the corner below a Guns N' Roses poster between a desk and a guitar. Why there? Jack peered. A shake in his head would said, I don't know. Billy looked to the bed. He had hoped it had been the bed. When a man dies in bed, it's not that bad. Not as bad. The bed is the only good place to die. If you gotta die. And everyone does. Because dying's just a part of living. The bed is the best place to go. Under the carnival sleep is the place to die. Tucked into the blanket fair is the way to drown, but the bed was made. Undisturbed. Somehow, Billy knew Eddie's mom hadn't come down and found her son dead, then made the bed up while the paramedics were on their way. No, 
No mother's cleaning instincts were that strong. Everywhere but the bed is the worst place to die. Once you start dying outside the bed, it's all varying degrees of bad ways to go. Why do you think the hospital is so intent on making sure they got enough beds? Billy looked to the corner Jack had pointed. As far as places in a boy's room, it was a sad place to go gone. Billy nodded. Yeah, he swallowed. I think you're right. And Billy had to fight a crazy urge to whistle a hymn from church. Grandpa's favorite Jesus tune played at his funeral. Welcome, welcome, Sabbath morning. The two boys looked at the strange corner like a developing film strip. And though boys knew well the corner of yards and property lines, the corner of their own room was something untread. As if boys were men in training, boys ignored their little intersecting rims of their one-room empires, just like men ignored the corners of their yards. If a boy were to die in his own room, the worst place to go was slumped in the corner, in the backcountry sticks of his own country. It would be like Thomas Jefferson starving to death alone in the deep end of Louisiana purchased territory. The room felt old, dark, too silent. Billy started humming Grandpa's favorite hymn. Welcome, welcome, Sabbath morning. Shh, you crazy? Sorry, I didn't mean to. Just find whatever you're looking for and let's get the hell out of here. Billy looked the room over again. I don't see it. God, can we go now? No. Keep looking. Help me look, Jack. I've seen enough, Billy. I don't want to see anymore. Yes, I've seen too much, Jack thought. Oh, thank God, the blinds are drawn. Thank God, it's dark. Billy looked at all the fool things a boy collects, all the idiot things made by somebody else, stockpiled by one boy to bark at the world who he was, all perched on wall and shelf and desk like a venue of vultures resting in trees, leaning on each other, licking their guillotine beaks. What were all these things? Some kind of patchwork quilt to tell Billy who Eddie was, that's what. But scotch taped together by a kid raised in a mass-produced world. Too young to know what a seamster or seamstress was, let alone be one. A kid too young to eye a needle or wrangle the thread or pilot the metal textile toothpick. A kid too young to make something on his own in a world too plastic to call his own, so left to try to piecemeal his identity through the shitstorm of crude pop culture curios. The room was an idiot lullaby for the eyes, a spoon-fed overdose of what-nots. 
some kind of brand new world. Look in the room, it was hard to see Eddie anywhere. One million other anti-establishment teenagers could have fit. It was like Billy and Jack were looking at a composite sketch drawn of someone else. Xeroxed for Eddie. None of the cassette tapes or band posters or jean jacket patches or black light bulbs told them anything about Eddie. No, it felt like looking at a type of chain restaurant kid. Something found near the highways, shopping malls, and tourist areas of everywhere. Billy imagined Jenny Hale's room, with posters of London, Paris, Milan, because he had overheard her once passing her table at lunch, talking about the places she wanted to visit. London, Paris, Milan, but had she ever heard of Amalfi, or Trani, or any other town on the Amalfi Coast, for that matter? The Loire Valley, Mont Saint-Michel, Jack London Lake, Baptism River Falls, or any of the old Rust Belt towns of upstate New York, the mining towns of West Virginia, the dried-up traffic towns of Old Man River the logging ghost towns of the Pacific Northwest. These were places people actually passed through. Paris, London, Milan were places everyone wanted to go. And everyone wasn't a person. I can't see Eddie. Billy whispered. What do you mean you can't see Eddie? I mean, who he was.